you have to think like a producer and producers make outcomes happen that's what we do so how do you make sure your show your business is number one and the first thing you do is you forensically analyze your audience Oh no, you fail your ideas. You fail your ideas very quickly. One thing I would say to everyone is have people around you who disagree with you. Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a journey to lift the veil on discussion about creativity in life and business. And today's guest is Maz Farrelly. Maz currently is a keynote speaker, but she's earned her reputation as being the most extraordinary producer, mainly in the world of TV. She's met pretty much every celebrity you've ever heard of. Um, And what a chat we've had with her. She's peppered some profound insights with some super witty stories I, I i loved it when she said um your own success will never be as beautiful as your friend's failure she was being tongue-in-cheek winding up your friends being part of that community having fun on the way is very much ebay situation yes chris it is and that that's uh that combination of of great humor and and deep insights about creativity is so fantastic about understanding your audience look we learned so much uh from a tv in the from the land of of uh, a producer from the land of TV. It was absolutely sensational. Unfortunately, that quote about your friends was in the discussion we had after the podcast, which was probably uh, as good as the podcast. But yeah, look, please listen on and let's get Maz into the studio. Maz, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I listened to quite a few of yours, so I know that the very polite people always start by saying, thank you so much for having me on because you do have a choice. So, um, and I've listened to some very clever people. Do you ever do that where you think, um, oh God, they're really clever people on, I've got to really up my game. Because if you take some people who are like four years old, I would look really clever. Maz, you're in safe company with us. It's a great pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining us on, on our wonderful podcast. Well, Maz, you are in good company because we've had our, uh, our youngest guest is seven years old. So um, uh, you are in good company. Maz, to kick us off, can you give us a very quick, if that's possible, potted history of how you got from where you are to where you are now yes so i went to a ridiculously uh, posh school and then i decided i really didn't want to do anything intellectual at uh, what well, you know considered intellectual so i went to art college then i went to fashion college then I went to journalism college so i'm actually qualified to go shopping uh, and write about it and then maybe draw some pictures they're my qualification uh, absolutely fabulous was based on my agent so i left school uh, went to, did a little bit of education and then moved into essentially a series of Absolutely Fabulous. And I didn't know that that wasn't the real world. I just thought that was the real world because I didn't read school and college. So, you know, I was very surprised when other people did travel first class and stay in amazing hotels and go to parties every day. But apparently they don't. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to work in telly. So I applied for a job on This Morning, which Chris will know, which is this huge show in the UK. Uh, and then I worked very hard and I was headhunted. So I was pretty much headhunted for, I reckon, about 13 years. And in that time, I made, in the UK, uh, big shows like Big Brother, Big Breakfast, Light Lunch, um, Friends Like These. I mean, loads of stuff. 
uh, I was executive editor of entertainment, format entertainment at the BBC, uh, creative strategist for BBC Worldwide. Um, and then one day I woke up and I just didn't love telly anymore. And it was literally like I looked at telly and just went, we're finished. And uncharacteristically, I blamed myself for the end of that relationship because normally I go, darling, it's you. Goodbye. Uh, on this occasion, uh, I said, you know, it's not you. It's me. I just don't love you anymore. And someone else deserves this incredible, beautiful job of making these incredibly beautiful shows because I was making things like The X Factor, From What's Wife, Celebrity Apprentice, Dancing with the Stars, Big Brother. Uh, and I helped create Q&A, which is the one that I really, really like. Nice. It's still going. And I like that some difficult and interesting questions have been asked on that show. And then when I decided I didn't want to do telly anymore, uh, I scratched around thinking, I have no transferable skills. I mean, I literally have no skills whatsoever. None. I'm good at a party and that's about it. And... Uh, some friends of mine uh, said, I, I did a panel and uh, a beautiful, beautiful speaker called Kieran Flanagan said to me afterwards, you're good. How long have you done this for? Uh, and I said, about eight minutes. And uh, she said, you should do this full time. And she told me what she got paid for the day. And I went, do you know what? All my TV friends did to me. I am doing this full time. And now I speak and I train people. And I cannot tell you how much I love it. Maz, can I just get, go back? I just want to know how you would describe what a producer does because it's one of those terms that seems to encompass so many different things so uh, a producer that makes sure it works well i was the executive producer so i was the boss so my job was to make sure that every show which is a business you know show business every show works i was in charge of all the creative i was in charge of everything but especially the creative so how do you make sure your show your business is number one and the first thing you do is you forensically analyze your audience and you forensically analyze what has worked and what hasn't worked you do the same as everyone else and you do it better so when i was making the x factor a show came along that had spinning chairs and big red buttons they did what i did they did it better than me that was the voice or you do the exact opposite of everyone else in the marketplace so if i said to you uh, i want to make a show which is a show about people watching tv so it's a show about people watching people watching TV. You get what? And of course, <laughs> Gogglebox sold to, I don't know, 20 territories. So do the same as everyone else and do it better than them or do the exact opposite. And that generally, those are my rules for creativity, really. I, mean, I have very many rules because I'm obsessed with creativity. But I think those are two good ways of thinking. I do a lot of work around thinking with um, big companies because most people think in a very, very, very ordinary, lazy way. And it's only because nobody, you know, like a beautiful menopausal woman like me has come in and said, hey, guys, you're thinking it's pretty ordinary and it really needs to ramp up. So tell us more about that. How do you get great thinking then? You to do it the same, do it opposite. How do you take ordinary thinking and take it up to top level thinking? So this is what most people do. They, you know, I will be interviewing you and I will say, how are you feeling today? So you're about to walk on stage or you're about to be a guest on Q&A. And I would say to you, so I'm doing a pre-interview with you uh, that we will run on the show. And I will say to you, how are you feeling today, Chris? Now, you will probably say the same four or five words that everybody on earth says when they'll ask that question. So if I said to you, Chris, how are you feeling? What would you say? Feeling great. Thanks for asking. Normally, people apart from Chris say, I'm <laughs> nervous but excited. Uh, now, everybody on earth says that. 
apart from Chris. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a bit nervous, actually. Now you mentioned it, Maz. But I'm excited, too. Uh, when you do this, Jude, now I've said it to you, you will hear that everywhere because everybody says, now, lazy thinkers will say, brilliant, thank you. Now, my team, I would say to them, that's not going to get us to number one, is it? That's going to get us to number eight. And we don't want to be at number eight. We want to be at number one because I want all of you to leave this show and double your money, walk into any job in the country or indeed in the world because you've been on the number one show and you've been part of making that show number one. That's really important. How do you do it? So when other people on other shows say, never speak excited, and then you say, you know, brilliant, what are you singing today? Or, you know, what questions do you want to ask of, um, you know, Tony Jones back in the old days? You kind of, it's sort of dead. Now, if you, I say to you, why are you nervous, Chris? And you said, I've never been on telly before. And I go, it's interesting. Why? You know, well, actually, you know, I was on the radio 20 years ago and, you know, it went horribly wrong and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, suddenly I've got a story and an interesting one. And maybe, you know, if I've got the time, I'll go back and I'll listen to that interview and I'll see what's shaped you. And that becomes your story. And it's an interesting one. And all we have in life are stories. All we have. So I guess what I'm learning is it, it's about giving, if, if you're going to get go up a gear as a producer, get the best out of the people who are going to be on camera, it's understanding their story and giving them the confidence to share their story. Is that kind of what you're saying? No, I'll tell you what it is. It's just thinking differently. Everyone does the same thing. Everyone kicks the can down the street in the same way when they think, generally. It's a little bit like having sex every Sunday morning at 9.30. Now, the first Sunday morning, it could be fun. And the second Sunday morning, you think, oh, this is fun. By the third one, you think, oh, I'd rather have a cup of tea. And all you're longing for is a quickie in the car or, you know, something that's a bit more exciting. But you're not getting it. You're just getting the same old, same old. And suddenly, you know, what started out as fun is not anymore. So mix it up, mix it up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep my straight face. You're going to mix it up, Chris. You're going to mix it up. You just have to think harder. So if you think like everyone else, guess what? You're like everyone else and you can't be. But so it reminds me of the this TVA where the Germans are, guy, Germans are in the lighthouse and someone, you know, calls up, Mayday, 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 we're sinking. And he goes, what are you thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. Oh, you know, so, great ads. Tell me about this ad. Suddenly the ad's gone viral because some people sat in the room and they thought harder than the people in the next room because someone like yeah. me said to them, not good enough, you know, let's have a bit more fun with this. Think about the opposite. What would the opposite look like? Now, if we were going to do it better than everyone else, let's look back at history and see what other people have done, which very few people do. And you think, if lots of people have done the hard work for you in the past, you'd be very clever to draw on that hard work. Very few people do. People look at the history of reality TV and you go, don't look at the history of it. Look at the incredible moments and the knock-on effects of those and what the audience said about it. And if it's interesting. So just to go back, you, you talked about, you know, what you did, someone's walking onto the show, everyone says the same answer about Chris. Um, what, what's the question when you walk into the boardroom, like to, to start opening that conversation that do you use? Do you kind of say, you know, how you feel? Or do you say how you feel? Or Generally... Um... It depends. So <laughs> it's that funny thing. If I tell you now, people will be going, oh, this is what she does. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are there are lots of tips. So if there's anyone listening to this that is a new creative trying to get into you know, an agency or bi business in a creative way, you have to think like a producer. And producers make outcomes happen. That's what we do. You know, what do you want to happen? Okay, we'll make that happen. We're very, very good at it. So if I used to, in the old days, uh, want everyone at Channel 9 to be talking about me, I would turn up with a big box of cakes, 
really nice cakes. And I'd make sure there was one for the assistant because the assistants are always the people who are the gateway and they're always really good fun and they're always really clever and they're very strategic and they know everyone. They're widely connected, very underrated. Uh, so the thank you for the meeting, I would know what their cake was and I'd say, this is yours. It's in a separate box. Don't bring this into the meeting. This is for you. And I know it's your favourite because I did a bit of research. I'll see another uh, And then I would always bring too much cake. Why? Why would I bring too much cake? What happens to cake when you finish the meeting? Gannets arrive, don't they? Goes into the kitchen, isn't it, generally? You know, this is when yeah. we were all in offices. So Chris and Paul walk into the kitchen and they say, who put the cake in? Maz. And they go, we like Maz. She always brings cake. Even if we hate the pitch, she always brings cake. We like that. <laughs> Why was she here? She a show about eggs. Great. Now, suddenly, there's a conversation about me in a different room in Channel 9. And then, of course, Chris and Paul walk back to their desk with their cake. And Jim and Fred, Sally and Ange, say, where you get the cake? Is it someone's birthday? And they go, no, Maz was in. They go, we like Maz. She always brings cake. <laughs> like, yes. And suddenly, they're eating my cake. And they go, hey, what was she doing here? Oh, she's a show about eggs. And suddenly, some people are having a sugar rush, turning into diabetics, but discussing me within the walls that I would like to be discussed. Now, that's a bit of heavy thinking, isn't it? But it's not mm. thinking. <laughs> cake thinking. We'll call it cake thinking. Yeah, I could have 20 meetings at Channel 9 or I could have one and bring a bag full of cake. So if you're a smart producer, that's what you do. <laughs> now, Matt, can I ask you a question about what I'm guessing is a tricky balance as a producer? Because it sounds like you're a person who's always full of ideas. How can we do this better? How can we do this? And what about that? And why do we do the opposite? And you have ideas. On the other hand, producers have to make stuff happen. Is there a moment you have to stop asking those questions so that things can happen? Or how do you channel those ideas in a way that helps to make things happen is what I'm saying. Deadlines are good. So my friends would say to me, what do you do when you have writer's block? So I've written 10,000 scripts conservatively. Uh, what do you do when you have writer's block? And I would say, two words, I write. <laughs> now, I'm getting paid for it. It's my actual job and I have a deadline. You know, it's very, you know, I can't really say uh, the X Factor isn't on at 7 o'clock tonight till 7.30 or whatever time it was on. Uh, we haven't quite finished the script. Just didn't feel like writing it. So it's on at 8 today. <laughs> it's not going to really cut it with the network. So, very good. Deadlines focus your thinking. Um, I like to not have clutter around me. I like to have an early night the night before, have one coffee, don't have 10. Um, get yourself in training for thinking. Be inspired. You know, be inspired. Have a few drinks. You know, when I was at the BBC, I really encouraged them to think differently. And I'd say, I don't want you to come to work tomorrow. I want you to go out tonight and get drunk. Or don't, you know. Uh, but just cut loose a little bit, you know. Just have a glass of wine, loosen up a little bit, have some fun, laugh your head off, see some friends, go to a gallery, go for a walk in the park. Do something that inspires you, that just is a little bit out of character for you. Do something that just gives your brain a nudge. Do something. What's your personal go-to for, for giving your brain a nudge? Is, is that a gallery? Is it a particular kind of wine? What, what is it? Uh, when I have time, I take myself to a different part of the world with podcasts and books, and I try and book an all-inclusive, and I don't invite anyone because I am that child at school that's got the report every single time, uh, easily distracts, distracted and loves distracting others. Now, I haven't changed at all. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> I have to be very strict with myself. So I tend to take myself away. I take thinking. I take it very seriously. You know, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, if it's 
thinking I have to do quickly. I'm trained. I'm a trained thinker. You know, when you make live TV, you make decisions constantly. You know, this is happening. This is happening. We're going to change this. When I'm a speaker, I read the room. When I'm an MC, I read the room. They're laughing at this. This is the tone. That side of the room are warm. This side of the room aren't. I'm constantly changing. I'm constantly thinking, how can I adapt my material to make sure that it lands perfectly with this audience? Do you, do you have any uh, exercise? I remember when I was younger, I used to lie in bed and think, I'm going to think of 20 new things. And a little bit like uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, I think of six new things before breakfast or six unbelievable things before breakfast. Obviously, you're applying the skill closely in your work. But are there other things you do, any rituals, or is it just the books or, you know, going to different places? When people are stuck, I say to them, think about what makes you angry. And anger is often a more passionate feeling than love. You know, there aren't many trolls who are on Twitter furiously loving people. And, <laughs> you know, very few people are murdered in crimes of love. Uh, so I think thinking about what makes you angry fires you up a little bit. Um, put, there was a guy in, well, he still is in the UK, uh, Peter Bazalgette, one of my favourite people, and he's just this huge thinker. And he and a woman called Nikki Cheatham created loads of really, really, really big shows. And they did it by mixing genres that shouldn't go together. So the story goes, Ready, Steady, Cook happened because they had a bag of um, lifestyle and then a bag of genres, and they picked out cooking game show. And really, there hadn't been a cooking game show before that. Mm. Uh, and then they pulled out Gardening Hidden Camera. And they came up with Ground Force. And then they came up with, I can't remember the other one was for Changing Minds. But they would say, okay, these are the two genres. They're both popular. How do we marry them? They're two things that don't fit in a fried ice cream. So when you add opposites together, it can explode or it can be incredible. And you don't know until you try it. And failure is very, very important. You have to allow for failure and you have to celebrate failure because if you're not failing, I don't think you're really working to the potential you could be working to. How do you get that idea across in, in a world of business where people are kind of cautious, there are often big budgets involved or big risks. And let's say you're devising a new show um, and you know everyone wants it to be a success. And so there's a great temptation to test, to research, to dumb things down. And you're going, oh, it's good to have a failure. That, that'll really help us. Oh, no, you fail your ideas. You fail your ideas very quickly. So I, one thing I would say to everyone is have people around you who disagree with you. Very important. When you are in a room and everyone agrees with you, you know, I've made shows where everyone agrees with me and I think I could fire you all uh, and just have me because you will agree with me. Like what I really like is when, you know, I love people who kind of go, I don't think that will work. They go, brilliant, why? So we in TV, we call it killing our babies. You kill lots of them. You, just, you love them, but you have to let them go. So failure is part of business. You've got to think of, you know, the ABC. How many shows do the ABC take out of every hundred? So every hundred they're pitched, how many do they take? What do you think? I'm, I'm guessing one. 1.5. number. Yeah, one. Wow. So you think 99... <laughs> companies you know 99 ideas have been worked on for probably a month wow. you know you've invested all that time and you've researched it and you've thought about it and you've you know tried it maybe you've done a little mini pilot in the office and they don't buy it and you just go okay it's not the right idea at the right time uh and that's fine you know people go home but they spend five years pitching it or working on a show and pitching it and um 
you know, we say fail quickly. We love, uh, there's a guy called Adrian Swift at nine. And um, we really love him because we call him the Swift No. He will just say to you, not working. You go, brilliant. Okay, I'll give you the next idea. And that is very honourable and a very decent thing to do, I think. Swift No's are brilliant. And it's okay to hear no. It's fine. You just dust yourself down and get on with it. Come up with something better. Because not everything works. And it's fine that not everything works. Myers, what's your strike rate? If there's one in a hundred that's pitched from your end. But also, what what, what is the ingredients for that 1%? You know, like, if... Uh, is there some things that you that you that are that you found that that really works, or is it a bit hit and miss? When I was in the UK, I had like a ninety nine percent success rate. I had this phenomenal success rate, um, and my friends used to call it the Midas touch. And I'd say, look, you know, it's I've done well because me and I always will. Um, I I obsess about audiences, you know, and I think it doesn't matter whether you're making a podcast or a TV show or you are creating a new cot for babies, or you are creating chat, you know, the new chat app. It doesn't matter, because all you're thinking about is your audience. What are their problems? How do you solve them? And how do you deliver it in a way that's palatable? How do you make them feel safe, giving you their business? And that's what I would do when I went into pitch. So if I was pitching an entertainment show, I mean, you'd be hard pushed to not trust me, because they were all number one. You know, Q&A, if I pitched another uh, current affairs show, you know, I'd get the meeting, surely, because, you know, one of the co-creators of Q&A is still going, still a success. You know, when you have a great track record, you know, it's okay to remind people. Uh, and it's, you know, it's hard. You know, essentially, my friends would say, why don't, you know, Australia, they never buy new shows. You know, they just keep chatting about the same old shows and they'll only buy stuff that's successful overseas. And I say this to them, you have a restaurant and you can have Coca-Cola or you can have my new cola that no one has ever tried that I've just created. Now, I have a very good track record of creating soft drinks. You know, I made this one and that one and Dr. Peppers and, you know, cream soda. They go, so are we going to try the new untested cola in our restaurant that no one's tried anywhere in the world? Or are we going to buy Coca-Cola that we know the audience likes? That's where you're sitting. Now, you have to persuade them that there is room for a new cola. And maybe you say to them, and you know what we'll do, we'll try it in this restaurant. You can try it for free for six months. If it doesn't work, I won't charge you. Or do you know what? We'll work on it together. We'll think about your audience, what sells in your area, and I'll give you a percentage of all the sales. You know, percentage in the company. We'll name this soda after you, you know, Cafe George soda. You know, how do you make it palatable to them? Uh, If you can't do that, they won't buy it. But, you know, you're up against Coca-Cola. So when you're pitching a new idea, You know, when someone new is pitching an idea, they're pitching for that network to take away a show from me that, you know, is a success with someone who's made an awful lot of telly that's been really successful. You know, it's a very brave commission to not say, I'll get old, you know, Blondie in to make, you know, another series of Big Brother or The X Factor or, you know, The Celebrity Apprentice. You know, it's a brave commission to not take what works. You said... You, you obsess about audiences, and I'd love to know how you do that. Because I, I mean, you could say, "Oh, no, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to obsess." What do you actually do? Because what what's in my mind is kind of what's coming up. Let's say in the world of media and entertainment, uh, I'm like, I couldn't tell you except that you know there are there are these big blockbuster shows, you know, like MasterChef. There's the sports. There's the current affairs programs. There's the news and and so on. There's the sort of the regulars. Um, 
how do you know how do you obsess about an audience i do a lot of work i don't make content anymore i make it for a, a big corporation uh but i constantly think whenever i'm walking into an into a meeting uh what are their problems so an audience is you know you're my audience today you too so you know i research the show and i research you guys and i listen to them and what works and you know what makes you laugh and you know the kind of people that you have on because uh, I don't want to walk into a room not knowing where the doors are or the windows are or the escape exit. You know, it's like being on a plane, isn't it? Make you feel safe. Yeah, yeah. You know, count the rows. It might be behind you, you know. So you know your environment. You know the people that you're walking into. You know, you know about them. Uh, you know, I love on, you know, when I used to interview people, if they dropped in shows I'd made before and they'd say, you know, I love what you did with The Big Breakfast, you know, in year two. And you think, oh, you're playing me. I really like that. That's great. You're thinking. You know, it's great because I think if you're playing me, then you can play anyone. You know, you can make this work. You're a thinker. So businesses at the moment, you know, they're afraid. You know, the recession around the corner, or maybe we're in it already. We've just had COVID. Uh, COVID has taught us that we can't take things for granted. We knew it before, but it was a big slap in the face to us. It made us realise that we love each other. It made us realise that uh, commercial real estate's a tricky world. That if you had shares in Qantas two or three years ago, you know you'd be worried about it. Five years ago, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. If you had, you know, if you owned the lease on the A and P building and you had shares in Qantas, you would be waking up every morning high fiving yourself, and, you know, cuddling the dog and going, "We're rich." Uh, and then everything changed. So we're still reeling from that. It's like our partner had an affair and we didn't see it coming and we've had to rebuild this new world and you think of course life is always like that i'm um i love when people say we're in unprecedented times it's one of my favorite things that people say <laughs> okay. as i always say to them when were you in unprecedented times can you give me the year <laughs> when everything you thought would happen actually happened because my entire life is unprecedented Everything in my life is unprecedented. I have had no clue what was going to happen. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, is lazy thinking, isn't it? I'm going to say unprecedented times because everyone says unprecedented times. I'm just going to say the same as them. I'm nervous but excited. So I think about, uh, you know, when I go and speak, I look back at last year. Uh, who did they have on? Who worked? I say to them, you know, who worked? Who didn't work? Why did they work? Who's the audience? What are their problems? What are their ages? Because I think about, cultural differences uh you know if i talk about absolutely fabulous and we're 20 year olds they'll be looking at me like what earth are you talking about if i talk about troy savan and doing a youtuber tour uh and creating the first youtuber tour in australia uh to a group of 50 year olds chances are they'll go who's troy savan so um i don't serve sausages to vegans essentially you know i know my audience (laughs) and i work hard at knowing as much as i can about them and i tailor myself and actually, everybody does it. Everybody does it. It's just, I know I do it, and I'm really good at it. If you walk into a restaurant and you want the corner table that you proposed to your partner uh, on that table, or you didn't and you just want the corner table, you're not going to walk in and say, I want that corner table. You're going to go in and say, right, so just want to give me one second. I proposed to my partner on that table over there. We have been together for 22 years now. Last year, they nearly died. They didn't. And what I want to do is I want to re-propose to my partner at that table. 
what do you think? Can you help me? Can I have that table? Can I? Now, chances are you'll get that table. If you go and you go, bitch, I want that table, you're unlikely to get it. <laughs> so we do produce ourselves constantly. My favourite people are the people who didn't propose at that table and just tell that story uh, just to get the table. They're my favourite people. So I think you are funny. Uh, so they're my favourites. They're the ones who are friends of Richard Branson at the airline check-in, are they? Martin, so Richard Branson, he's a big thinker. He does think differently. I did a show in the UK called The Big Breakfast, which I think you probably know, Chris. It was on yeah, you know, yeah. forever. It's a hugely successful show, and it shouldn't have been. You know, it was made for thruppence. It was um, you know, it was a runaway success, but it was very cleverly thought through. Richard Branson was a guest, and it was uh, the show where Paulie Yates interviewed people on the bed. And uh, Richard Branson was Paula's guest that morning. And um, I said to him, Look, wait up here, Richard. I briefed him 20 minutes before and I said, uh, I'll come back three minutes before because uh, you always work ahead. You know, is that person in place? Brilliant. I'll go and do this one. Is that person in place? Then I'll do this bit. That person in place? You know, so you're constantly running between what's about to happen and what's happening. It's about to happen, what's happening. So in the commercial break, you go and set up the next three or four things and then, you know, you get this job done. Uh, so I said to him, um, you know, make yourself comfy. About five minutes in, you know, before someone will come and mic you up and cameras will come up and then I'll come up and, you know, I'll introduce you to Paula. So I walked upstairs and it's about two minutes before we're going live. He's starkers, lying on the bed, nude. <laughs> what are you doing? And he said, uh, I mean, not in a predatory way at all, in a very, you know, kind of funny way. He said, I thought it'd be funny. Not in a predatory way. I understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to be clear. Well, he's a virgin. He's a virgin. And, <laughs> and uh, he said, I thought it'd be funny. This is the on TV show. It's a morning show. I was like, what? You know, can you get the old Branson, you know, genitals? Just come, you know, get yourself onto the, put some clothes on. And for anyone listening, it's worth explaining, Paul Yates uh, was a, a very attractive young woman as well. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> crazy, <laughs> like, um, crazy attractive, super clever. I mean, one of the cleverest people mm. I've ever met in my life and most charming and most funny. I, I absolutely loved Paula. Uh, and he threw his clothes on when he did the interview. But I remember thinking, this is the reason you are so successful, is because A, you take every opportunity that's available to you. Uh, you think differently. You know that if we let him do that interview in the nude, it would be around the world, on the news, on every TV show, and in every newspaper, on every radio show. So very clever. Very, very, very clever. Very in incredibly smart thinking. Um, and smart thinkers do better. Mass, I, I, I risk of sounding a bit like a psychologist here, for the police, but how did you escape your posh school upbringing? It, no, no, what I, I mean is we're all of us, I think, to a greater or less extent, brought up to be drones, um, sort of just, just robots. We're told how to behave. We're told what the rules are. And posh schools like the one you described, I'm sure, gave you lots of important rules about what you do and don't do. And you've escaped. You've said, oh, no, it's about thinking better, smarter. You've, you've told a story about Richard Branson, who was also at a posh school, and he, he's made up his own. How do you escape those handcuffs? I think it's my nature. So my friends really laugh at how competitive I am. So I'm very competitive, not in a sporting way, in a, in a, in a business way. I'm very competitive. I want everyone to succeed, but it's very important for me personally to reach my goals. Uh, you know, I'll never tread on anyone to get to my goals. It's just, I find it really good fun, really good fun. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in your nature or it isn't. And one day, uh, two of my favorite people who work in telly, Alex Mavrodikas, who makes um, I'm a Celebrity, 
and a guy called Nick Cahoon, who was Big Brother on Big Brother. And I walked into the kitchen and they were there were two toasters and they were looking at the two toasters like they were about to explode. And I said to them, you know, what what are you doing? And they're shh, 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 just quiet, shush. And then one of the toasters came up and they went, ah, and Nick gave Alex $50. And I said, no, please tell me you're not gambling on how quickly the toast will be done. They went, yes. So we set it to exactly the same, exactly the same, time at exactly the same, pushed them down at exactly the same time. And, you know, we had each of our toasters. And you think, how lovely to make everything in your life fun, to look at things like they are an opportunity for creativity and for fun. And that's where great culture, you know, the culture on Big Brother was brilliant. We all got on really, really well. No one ever took time off. No one, I mean, you whinge, but, you know, you all whinge together. Uh, and it was like a big dysfunctional family. And we all came back and we made it next year. We all came back and we made it next year. We all came back and made it next year. I'm wondering what would have happened if the, if you turned the cameras around, so it weren't only the contestants, but it actually turned the cameras around on the crew and the producers behind the scenes. It might have been a better show. Everyone would have been arrested. And just quietly, <laughs> quietly uh, it was a very good show. It was number one. So uh, it's, you know, you decide on your culture and you decide on how much you're going to enjoy your life i think i think very often uh it's a decision i think if you have mental health problems it isn't but i think if you don't you do have you know something of a choice about um your own happiness and um Mm. you have to be very creative and think about it happiness is the decision you gave me a great idea for a podcast i want to pitch to you um the the nerd podcast um Interesting, because nudity is a great leveller. <laughs> you know, it would be. It's like when you go to hospital, you kind of think, um, you know, you're in someone else's hand. I went for a colonoscopy recently, and um, <laughs> my friend Fee, who is just incredibly funny uh, and very pragmatic and very down to earth, she doesn't want to go for a colonoscopy. And I said, why? She said, it's that moment that someone I don't know parts my bottom cheeks. And she said, it's just that moment. Someone I don't know is going to put their hand on my bottom cheeks and separate them. And I became obsessed with thinking about this. So when I went into the room, I just said, I just need to know who the person is who is going to be parting my bottom cheeks. And I went, it's a question you've never been asked. I said, I know, I just need to know who's doing it. And this woman said, I think it'll be me. No, can I see your hand? Brilliant. I'm okay. I'm fine with it now. Everything in life, you kind of have a choice. You know, my mother was very big on this. She died at 100. And she used to say, you know, a lot. You're in charge of your happiness. And she said her father had said to her, life is like a bag and you can only get out of it what you put into it. You don't put anything in, you can't get anything out. And she said, it's your job. She said, it's not my job to make you happy. It's not your job to make me happy. It's your job to make you happy. And she said, take that seriously. And I'm pretty happy. You've given me an idea for my next colonoscopy. I'm going to get a texter pen and get my wife to write open here. I'm on my base. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Paulie, yes. um, Paula was having some sort of operation and she'd had a bikini line done and she'd written something like keep off the grass or something uh, <laughs> next to where they were going to shoot the scar. And that's why Paula was Paula. You know, she, yeah. you know, she really did see the fun in everything, I think. And um, I think it is, you know, sometimes it is a choice. You know, I think it's always a choice. And I think, that is a probably uh, a great point 
to unfortunately yeah. uh, choose to end this because uh, we're, we're running we have out of lives, time. haven't we? We've got to go and enjoy our lives. Uh, I, uh, one of the things that I noticed, you know, we, we noticed we spoke a lot about uh, producing and things, and and um, you know, Chris and I are on this on this journey on this mission to lift the veil of creativity in life and business. And I think that you've done a great job in researching our audience because the message that you've given, both Chris and I, and Chris and I say, you know, we've done semi-old episodes about you know, creativity in business and every time we learn new things and we've certainly learned lots of new things from you and our audience will have well. So thank you for taking the time to uh, find out what our audience wants to know about. It's my absolute pleasure. Please tell them all to book me. Uh, because this is still still quite a new business for me. And, of course, I decided that I would uh, be a keynote speaker and a trainer the day before COVID. That was my launch day. And then the next day, every single thing cancelled for an entire year. In the world. Madison, I, I, I made the same decision on the, on the 1st of February 2020. So uh, I, I'm with you, I understand. I'm a little bit competitive as well. I'm happy to promote Maz as a speaker. I've seen her; she's fantastic. Uh, but so am I. <laughs> that's the yes. all book each other. I would love to see you speak at our next when we get the Common Creative Convention. Maz, I think you're hired. I'd love to see you there. Let's do it, <laughs> and let's have a drink afterwards. That's a Negroni or before. Oh yeah, let's do that too. Yes. Exactly. Thank you, Maz. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Chris, my, my jaw is hurting from laughing and smiling so much, and uh, and we must we must do the the, the next one naked. <laughs> I think that's right. You came. I think it was after we pressed pause on the recording button, but Paul, you came up with this idea of the new podcast, and that would be a way of us injecting some fun and humour into our podcast. Um, and I've got a great body for podcasting, by the way, so I, I'm on board with that plan. <laughs> yes, we both got great faces for radio and podcasting. So. Look, uh, what a great conversation. And as you said in that introduction, fantastic insights into the creative process. Learnings for everybody from a producer and TV, but for any application in life or business. So grateful for her time to come in and share those with our audience, which she obviously researched as a good producer would. Yeah. So uh, please give us a rating. We'd love it if you give us a five-star rating, but we want to hear from you. want to hear your rating. Please leave a comment in the chat box. But most of all, tell your friends. Share the views about The Common Creative. We'd love to build our audience. And of course, that helps us. It helps our speakers. And it helps the word, our world understand creativity in the workplace. Fantastic. Yes, so please tune in. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. See you next week. <laughs>